Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 verses 11 through 32 and that's in the New Testament. The last time the message was titled he really loves us because he really does and we covered really it goes with this parable so what we covered actually last Sunday before Pastor Paul taught and he actually taught about love and the love of God as well it's pretty neat so sort of like three Sundays in a row So if you're going through a bad week, a bad month, or a bad 2023, uh, definitely listen to these three messages. But he really loves us. We went into the lost sheep, the lost coin. Those two parables took them by themselves. And uh, this Sunday, we're going to go into the lost son. Now, many people call this the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus didn't necessarily name it and say, for 2,000 years, call this the parable of the prodigal son, he tells a story, and that's what the parables are, of a father with two kids. And both of the boys had their issues, so to speak. And it's a very interesting look at a microcosm or a cross-section of society with these two sons. But the father, you know, I actually changed the title to the loving and gracious father because as far as I'm concerned, the focus needs to be on the father the Father's love, the Father's patience. And we get to see this love and patience in our Heavenly Father. So I just want to kind of tweak a few things just so that we can understand uh, what's going on here and what the message is. And we're going to look at it in seven pithy parts. Now, very importantly is that the Father obviously is a picture of our Heavenly Father, God the Father. The Son is not a picture of Jesus. Some people make that mistake. He had two boys in the parable, and they both had issues, and the boys were a picture, again, of society. It's very important that we understand that. And really, it goes with the other two parables that we covered, and it's, we're really going to understand the love of God and how He wants all of His children to come to Him, although He's given us free will. So we're going to look at this, uh, verse 11. It says, Then he, Jesus, said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. So one out of seven is the allure of the world. Now, I need to explain what I mean when I say the world and what the Bible means when it says the world because there's actually different words for earth and for world. We can talk about the physical ground, the you know, spherical planet. It's not what he's talking about, right? It's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about the world system, a system that unfortunately uh, put itself into a sinful state. It's been carried down generations All you have to do is read the newspaper, go on the internet, and you can see what a messed up world we live in. This sin that has kind of pretty much taken over, and some of the worst people that run the world, 
quite frankly. So the world system is a system, right, that's poised against God. Secular humanism forever. You know, worship of the earth and the planet over worship of God. So let's get that framework done there. But how many times have we seen this literally? Maybe a younger person who is indoctrinated by institutions, various institutions, even in our own nation, led to believe that the world system is a much better system than God's system, right? This allure of the world. I've uh, counseled a lot of people, some of them older, some of them younger, but I remember one particular one young person that I counseled, and she grew up in an amazing Christian family and was just dabbling with things in the world. And parents asked me to speak to her, and I did. And I told her my testimony, that it wasn't good in the beginning, right? That I came to the Lord in my 20s. And I, I said to her, I wasn't mean because I really want to win her. I tried different things, and I tried even a parable. I said, you know, you seem hell-bent on crawling into the dumpster that I crawled out of, right? I was in the world. Trust me, the stuff that I did, it's not fulfilling. So you keep trying to get back in there, you're going to find the hard way that it is not fulfilling. So we see that literally, and I'm going to use some examples. Based on the culture, what's the big deal? He's, hey dad, give me my inheritance. Well, in that culture, it could be done, it would be done at some point, at some times, in certain circumstances. But basically, he was saying to his father, when you die, whatever I would get, I want it now. He's saying to his father, you're dead to me. So I need to go through, because it's my job, to study culture. right? So we have to really understand the gravity of what's happening here before we fully understand this parable. Father didn't do anything wrong except live a righteous and loving life with his children. But the Father is a symbol of God the Father who does, even today, respect our free will. He doesn't make us slaves. He doesn't force us to come to Him. He lets us go if we want to go and make those choices. And many today, unfortunately, choose self. And when we choose self as a God, we do make harmful decisions to ourselves and those we love. Now, the word prodigal, a lot of people say, they just say wasteful. I like to go into the Greek language because this is the language that the Bible was written in. And it was then written in many languages, but the Greek is very rich. When I looked up this word prodigal, there are other synonyms for this word. And those synonyms are vice, lacking restraint, promiscuity, indulgence, turbulence. Now you get a better picture of what this kid chooses, the safety and morality and the love of his father for this unpredictable and unknown world. Verse 13, he goes to a far country. I believe that this is a metaphor for the world system without God. And sometimes it starts in the heart of a person and their flesh, and it starts to develop. And they say to themselves, I need to leave. I need to go experience life. There's actually an expression that says the worst thing you can do for a person is give them everything they want. Right? Don't we have restraints with our kids? Kids that grow up without any restraints at all grow up to be 
not really great socially fitting in type of people. <laughs> so, um, you know, you want parents that love you enough that give you some boundaries, right? So the idea that being free from God and His Word is happiness, but the opposite is true. It's actually unfulfilling. Verse 14, But when he had spent all, the inheritance is gone, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine or pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Two, false advertising. So funny, as I was going through this, I like to... Actually, it was a suggestion. It's a great suggestion to put up those kind of like pithy parts but and break everything up for better understanding. So I got caught up in a conundrum of cliches, right? So I could have called it false advertising. I could have called it buyer's remorse. I could have called it the grass isn't always greener. I could have called it all that glitters isn't gold. Okay, I think I'm going to stop there. If you have any more, let me know at the end of the service. But eventually there's a famine. Now remember, this is a parable not about some kid in some family who makes a mess of his life and comes back home. This goes with the other parables. The parables are designed to tell a story, to convey, better yet, a spiritual truth using symbolism. It draws people in. It's an interesting story. By the time you realize that what Jesus is telling you something spiritually, you're already in all the way. It's actually brilliant. It's another way that God reaches us through His Word. So a famine, this can be translated a destitution or a darth. In the spiritual sense, this is what the world system apart from God offers. A darth, a famine. Many of you, and I'll raise my hand, many of you have experienced this firsthand. I did for many years. And I kept trying and trying and trying new things and keep trying to feed my flesh and doing different things on the weekends. And you know what? By Monday morning, I was miserable again. <laughs> so it just may take some of you longer. Hopefully nobody does this. A lot of people watching on the live stream. But I can tell you what the end looks like. <laughs> so um, thankfully the Lord drew me like the sun eventually to Him. But this is what the world offers. Now, I look at and I think about, so I've talked to you before about the lottery. So many people want to win the lottery. And I've talked to you about how the majority of the people who actually win the lottery, it ruins their lives. Crazy stuff. Murder, suicides, divorce, suicide, overdoses. From winning the lottery, their lives fundamentally change. But it's the allure of the world. And I'm not judging anybody who plays, but I'm just saying, don't put all your marbles in something like that to change your, your life. You know, you need to seek things in the Lord. I also think of the Hollywood and the entertainment industry, right? Um, and I don't say this in a mean way because we should pray for them, but you say, well, they have everything. They have mansions. They have fame. Everybody loves them. How many suicides, famous people, overdoses? How could they possibly want to take their lives? They have everything. Maybe that's the problem. So, I'm dating myself for, for some of you. How many of you remember? It's an old song. It's a classic. Hotel California. Anybody? Ooh, a lot of people. The older folks are raising their hands. We probably know all the lyrics in our heads, right? 
This was a popular song written in the 70s by the Eagles. They actually sat Don Henley down. There's a lot of symbolism in it. And they asked him, what is this song about? It's a cult classic, so to speak. few things he said. It's about the high life in Los Angeles. It's about the entertainment industry. It's about empty materialism and hedonism. This is somebody on the inside. This is the, about the dark underbelly of the American dream. Moral dilemmas, part of the journey of life. Innocence to experience. Is that what experience is all about? So let me read to you some of the, um, the lyrics. He sees the Hotel California, and he was thinking to himself, this could be heaven or this could be hell. Well, that's problematic <laughs> right off the bat. Continuing on, I'm not gonna, definitely not going to sing the song because I will clear everybody out of this place. He said, they were dancing in the courtyard, sweet summer sweat. Some dance to remember, some dance to forget. A lot of paradoxes in here. Um, so whatever, they, they got the mirrors on the ceiling, the pink champagne on ice. And she said, we are all just prisoners here of our own device. Continuing on, last verse that I want to read to you is that, you know, he starts to realize that this is a problem, this place. And again, it's this picture of fame and wealth and everybody loves you, so to speak. Um, she, she tells him, or he tells him, um, he's told the last line of the, of the song is, you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. That's powerful. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When I was a kid, just, you just memorize it, but you have no idea what you're saying. Um, but some of these artists are actually very highly intelligent people who f kind of feel that they're stuck in this situation. They don't know how to get out. And then they write songs almost saying, help me. You know what I'm saying? It ruins a lot of their lives. Continuing on. <laughs> so do we see a uh, a famine of spirituality, of values today? Yes. Many start off in life maybe pursuing a dream, and then at some point, maybe they achieve it, and they say to themselves, who am I anymore? I don't know. Many have asked that question. There's a, a dearth and a famine of, of morals in our country. Can you believe that parents are fighting school districts to keep pornography away from kindergartners? There's stuff that I know about that I've read that I can't even repeat from this pulpit. It's so disgusting that they want five and six-year-olds to learn this stuff. If I said it, you would, you would go like this and question my judgment for saying it from the pulpit. So we definitely have a famine of spirituality. This is a vacuous, this is a vacuous nation it's become. Our culture has become void of anything good at this point. I mean, there's some... Uh, shimmers of light. I'm going to talk about some of these revivals later on. But verse 15, the son joined himself with a citizen of that country. Remember, there's symbolism here. What did the citizen do to him? He treated the boy like a slave and that the animals were treated better than the boy. Right? He was in want. He was in destitution. He suffered need. He was hungry and would like to eat the food that the pigs were eating. If you know anything about pigs, they'll eat just about anything. Uh, if another pig or a human falls into the pen, they'll eat that, that you know. Um, they, have a, they have an uncanny ability in their digestive system to eat, digest, 
and most likely the pigs were fed carob pods or something really inexpensive that the boy would have eaten but would have given him no nutritional value and it would have been hard to digest. But he was so hungry and so destitute that he, his stomach was crying out for something to be put into it. It's pretty sad. And we've seen people, right, in reality that have run into these types of situations. Okay? The citizen of the world, well, think about when we looked at the temptation of Christ from Satan. Satan says to Jesus, don't go to the cross. Of course, he doesn't want Jesus to die for our sins. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Just bow down to me right now. We'll, we'll do it. We'll, we'll cut right through the, the whole cross thing and you know, we'll, we'll make this thing happen. Of course, Jesus denied him that. Uh, but Satan, because of the forfeiture of the creation from mankind to the underworld, Satan can offer these things, these kingdoms of the world, these institutions, these positions, right? So I kind of see the citizen, citizen of the world as Lucifer or Satan, this false alternative to God. Verse 16, no one gave him anything. And again, the world system will falsely advertise in lights, glitter, and you realize it's not gold. It's just confetti. There's nothing you can do with it. It'll leave you destitute. I'll leave you with one story from my, my you know, younger years because you know, I, I, was, I didn't... Listen, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, broken home. I've shared this so many times. Um, didn't know God. And I remember one time, I mean, I was young. I was physically fit. I was almost done with college at Rutgers, my four-year degree. I had everything. I actually had black hair. It's turning gray now, but um, so I, I miss those days. Uh, and I remember sitting at the kitchen table with my grandmother, a little Sicilian lady, and she said, Joey, what's the matter? <laughs> I said, you know, Nanny, I just feel like, I remember this over 30 years ago. I'm like, I feel like my, my life has no meaning, and she's trying to encourage me. And I just, I was, I could say I was depressed back then, Right. No matter what I did, no matter what I did on the weekends, I just, I couldn't find any meaning. It was a vacuous life because God wasn't in it. Then I become a Christian years later, and then she sees a different person. It was kind of cool. And before she died, I was sharing Scripture and the Gospel with her, and I believe she's in a good place now. So, but she didn't have the Lord either, so she didn't know what to do for me. She just loved me, you know? But I think it's really tragic when self-professing Christians dabble in feeding their flesh of the world. It doesn't, matter, it doesn't mean we can't enjoy our lives. We should. It doesn't, mind, we, doesn't mean we can't have fun. It doesn't mean we can't laugh. It doesn't mean we can't get promoted. It doesn't mean any of those things. However, if we put the world as a God in front of God, that's where the problems happen. I know people who are millionaires who are just very generous. They're just good people. Money doesn't distort them. And I know others that if they got a million dollars, it would ruin their lives. Right? Money's not the root of evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Right? This, the Scripture is very wise. So we look at this. Um, we know that separation from sin separates us from God. It's clear. And it only brings slavery and death and judgment. You know, so the question is, where were, the, where were this boys? And I like to put these, this conjecture in, right? I mean, Jesus was telling a, a story, but it's just so rich. You can make so many applications. Where were the, where's the younger son's partying friends? Right? All the people he partied with spent his money. Hey, these are my friends. 
How many times have you seen that? <laughs> How many times have I had to have conversation with people and say, those people are not your friends, right? Are they our friends because of who we are inside? Our ups and downs, they're with us. Or are they our friends because of something that we can provide? If it's the latter, they're not your friends. So did they all leave when he ran out of money? Because he had nothing at this point. Verse 17, continuing on, this is the best part. But when he came to himself, he said, he's, he's thinking about this. He's hungry. He's taking care of the pigs. He's I got no money. I got nothing. And he says to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Three out of seven is rock bottom to repentance. You know what's sad? Not everybody gets here. Right? I'm talking to my brother over there who runs a counseling ministry. We have this discussion. You know, we often, there's an open door when somebody hits rock bottom because you, they'll do anything to get out of the situation. But that's the problem. What, what's the right answer is, is to rejoin yourself with your creator, the one you're estranged from. A lot of really neat messages in this. Um, I actually asked permission to share this story. I'm not going to use a name. But see, there's a lot of... I gave my testimony. There's a lot of people that I know, people in this church. It, it really has more power when you know somebody who's lived this. Literally. Young lady that I know um, had a heroin addiction, uh, was Narcaned many a times. And I remember the last time I counseled her before things changed, I said, I'm afraid we're going to lose you. And she said, I'm afraid of that too. And it was praying for her, the whole deal. Uh, and all of a sudden, her life turned around. So we're, I'm on the phone with her a few days ago, and um, she actually started giving me more information. And she said, you know, Pastor Joe, none of it was me. I begged the Lord. I pleaded with him to turn my life around, and he did. But see, we have to be open to do that. That's the thing. And that's the, the, the heartbreak of doing ministry is because some say with their mouth that they're open to it, but they don't follow through. He rehearsed what he was going to say to his father, and then he goes and he does it, right? There's those fruits of repentance, which we're going to cover. So I would just say this. He, he remembers, the son remembers how his father's servants, hired servants, had excess of what they needed. When you serve God, He takes care of you. Now, some can, you know, some people add uh, a key to every symbol, which you're supposed to really understand the main part of the story. And maybe I use conjecture too, but some people might say that if the Father is God, that His servants, right, His children are us, and His servants are the angels, and they're well taken care of, right? Well taken care of. What was Lucifer's problem? Satan, he wanted to be like God. There's only one position, and that one's filled. So that didn't work out. But other than that, he didn't leave heaven because it was a bad uh, dental plan or the retirement benefits weren't good. God is good. He's good to his creatures. He left because he wanted to be God. And sometimes people do that. They put themselves so high 
that they can't consider submitting themselves to God, even though He's a good God, right? They don't even want to know. But the, the prodigal son understood, I'm perishing with hunger. The world will always leave us hungry. I've heard the expression, love to steal it. It's not mine. I don't know who said it, but it says that everyone on the earth, God gave us free will, but He also gave us a God-shaped void or vacuum. And the key, round peg, round hole, the key is God. Once God fills that, your life changes. You can try so many things, but it's just not going to work. And some today may even hear this message or in counseling, but they've got to experience it on their own. Listen, I'm not here to tell anybody what to do. I have enough trouble running my own life, um, but I can only share what I know from the Scripture. (laughs) So, I mean, I respect people who are honest with me, but I just pray for you because it's going, to be, it's going to be a rough road. You're going to find out, like many others, it's going to be the hard way. You know what I love about the prodigal son? He didn't blame anybody. Isn't our culture filled with blame shifters? Oh my goodness. And it's the leadership that does it, and it, it trickles down to the culture. There's a principle in the Bible that even says that God will allow, He allowed in Israel, Israel had its ups and downs, ancient Israel, he allowed leaders to reflect the culture, right? King Saul was tall and handsome. That's what you want in a leader. <laughs> but he was totally vacuous. But that was what the people wanted in their king. They didn't, want self, they didn't want God to rule over them. But, you know, we see it today. Just a bunch of, and I, I just, you know, every election season. And then they get in, and they promise you everything, and they mess up, and then they, they make excuses, I love when they, they blame the American people, like it's our fault that they can't lead. You know what I'm saying? But we see a lot of that, right? That's the culture we live in. People today, they go into the world. Listen, my parents were divorced. They came from a broken home. I, I'm not, I'm, at my age, I'm not, in my understanding of Scripture, I'm not blaming my parents for what happened to me. Maybe if I didn't, exp- well, I shouldn't say this. <laughs> you know, sometimes I kind of check, all right, I'm going to say it, but, but, don't run with it, okay? Um, maybe if I didn't experience such hardships, I wouldn't have had that comparison to know the love of God. Now, when I was going through it, I was very unhappy, very depressed. I don't wish that upon anybody. Um, but I'm not going to blame my parents. I'm not going to blame God. It wasn't his fault. I'm not going to blame the government. I'm not going to blame the teachers. Just not going to do it. He didn't do it either. He took personal responsibility. He said, I'm going to go to my father which is the smartest thing he did so far. Um, he came to himself and he said, I'm going to go to my father. He didn't read self-help books. He didn't engage in the world's philosophy. He didn't uh, you know, do all these types of things. He went back to the father. Right? And the sinner's best place is with the loving God who died for our sins. He says, I will say that I have sinned. Just make me like one of your servants. That's complete humility and repentance. And that's what repentance is. It's a turnaround. The word literally means to change. It's a deep, it's a very, there's a deep, rich meaning to it. But in general, it means to turn, right? We go our own way in the world. We repent. We turn from our ways, self-directed ways, and we start to follow the Lord, which is the better way. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, that's key, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. 
and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Four out of seven is fruits of repentance. Remember John the Baptist? Fruits. He said, bear fruits of repentance. And you know what that means? If I can uh, paraphrase it, it means don't just say, do. A lot of talkers in society. There's not a lot of doers, you know? Doers, right? But the Father waited patiently for His Son as our Heavenly Father waits patiently for us. He can wait decades for us. He never gives up on us. Some people come to Christ in their 70s, 80s. Deathbed conversions, right? It's, it's good. God waits for us. He loves us. He waited for me for over 20 years and I'm grateful. But you could almost see the Father every day. Son was still a far way off. And the Father is moved to move in His direction. You could see every day, certain times of day, and I'm, this is my conjecture, that the Father goes to the the border of his property, and he scans the horizon. Maybe today he'll come back. That's powerful. And one day he did. One day he did. That love paid off. I'm going to tell you this, that some of you may say to me, well, you don't know my situation. You don't know what I've been through. God can't love me. And I'm going to vehemently argue with you. I'm a, ask my wife. I'm a good arguer. You know what I'm saying? My, my uh, deputy chief said to me once, he goes, you should have been an, been an attorney. He goes, you're just a good arguer. So I'm going to convince you that God loves you because it's, it's, it's up here, it's in here, and it's something I experienced. And I'm not any more special than anybody else. The son disgraced his family, but the father was willing to restore him, not to his hired servants, but to full sonship. So if you're telling me that God wouldn't want you, this parable is for you. And there's no accident that you're here this morning or watching on the live stream. It just gets better. Verse 22, But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and, and, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Five, Restoration. It tells us that the son doesn't get to finish his words. He's got this speech prepared, and I bet the whole day he's starving. He's probably got nothing on his feet. He's walking through rough terrain. To, he still remembers where home is. He's just got nothing. And he just keeps reciting, all right, I'm going to tell my dad. And it goes over and over. And as soon as he sees his dad and he's close enough in earshot, he starts saying it. But the Bible tells us the son doesn't even get to finish what he's saying. Now, in this world, we're supposed to prove ourselves, right? This is the world system. Prove yourself. Great, that's your resume. We'll, we'll see what you do. Prove yourself. Here, the father didn't have to wait for the son to prove himself. He already knew his heart. Now, this is where the parable becomes, you see these divine um, you know, pictures because only God knows the heart. Only God wouldn't have to wait for somebody to see if they're truly repentant. He knows. So there's attributes about this man in the parable, this patriarch, if you would like to call him, that he has these divine attributes so it, you, you see these, what I would call exagger, purposeful exaggerations or uncommonalities in the parables where that really tells the story. So he doesn't even let him finish his, his sentence. 
Let's look at some of these exaggerations. Number one, we talked about the divine attribute of him seeing into his son's, son's heart. That is God knowing our heart. We also know that in those days, again, let's go, let's go back to culture, right? I studied culture. That type of culture, that type of area, that time period. So if you had a father who had hired servants, well, he must have been successful because his servants, even though he hired them, you know, I love the little details. They have much more than they could possibly need. So you can look at the father and say, he probably did okay for himself, right? More of a reason that if the son said, you're dead to me, give me my stuff, I'm out of here. It's like you never existed. Disgraced the family. For the father in the story, and everyone's like drawn in, and they're digging the story, and, and the, you know, they're hearing it, and like, yeah, yeah, I know somebody down the street, he's got an estate, I, I can see that happening. And then, you can almost see the father being humiliated where the son disgraces the family, doesn't prove himself, the, and older men in that culture, they would wear robes, they wouldn't run. He wouldn't run to the son especially after what the son did. So people are starting to hear the story and they're going, wait, 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 wait. I don't see that happening. But see, that's where the divine attributes come in. That love, that mercy, that grace. He does something that nobody would have done in that culture. Because in that culture, if it was just a man and it was, it, there was no spiritual picture, everybody, the servants, the other son, the whole family, the neighbors, his associates, would look at him with disrespect. You're pathetic. You let him do that, and then you go running. What's the matter with you? You don't do that kind of stuff. Can we trust your judgment? But what Jesus does is he tells us that this exaggeration to shift us to exemplify the picture of God's character. Amen? There are many different ways we just have to meditate on it. We have to read it a few times. We have to look at it. You have to say, why did God put that detail in there? And what you see is the, the loving and gracious Father. Yeah, great. The prodigal son. You can call it what you want. I'm not going to correct you. But to me, it's all about the Father. It's all about God the Father and His love. And the rest of it's interesting as well. Verse 25. So His older son. Forgot about the older son, right? He's still there. It says, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked them what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry, and he wouldn't go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you, I never transgress your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, he doesn't even call him his brother, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him? Six out of seven is, not everyone is thrilled. And that's an understatement. <laughs> Don't forget who Jesus' audience is. It was the people considering following God the Son. But it was also religious leaders who were always tagging along because the crowds that Jesus had were much bigger than the crowds of the hypocritical religious system. 
So let's not forget who's, who's in that audience. This older son represents the haughty, self-righteous, corrupt religious class. And the spirit of the older brother is alive today. I actually <clears throat> I got saved, went to a Calvary Chapel. I'm going to speak very vaguely. And um, two people from my past also somehow ended up at Calvary Chapel. One, one was a guy, one was a gal. And they developed a self-righteousness over time. You've seen this, right? You, and you, sometimes you might say, did you forget where you came from? And they developed this, this air, that they, a pharisaical air, that they're better than everybody else. And I scratch my head, and I'm like, we ran with the same crew back in the day. <laughs> you know, if I was a different person, I would let that get out. But, you know, you have to stand before the Lord with that. None of us are perfect, folks. Whether it's what some would consider private sins or sins of the heart or robbery, murder, whatever the case may be, it doesn't matter. It only takes one sin to be separated from God. Jesus came to bridge that gap again for the older brothers in society and the younger brothers in society. Amen? And you know, if you've been a Christian long enough, you've seen people who have this sort of air about them. And it's not pretty. I love how many people have seen the movie Jesus Revolution. So a lot of you have seen it. <clears throat> Listen, I'm not a big, oh, our denomination is better than, I don't do that because there's a lot of good churches out there. But what I loved about the movie was the honesty. I loved the, the founder of Calvary Chapel, how he, he wasn't sure of himself. You know, the, you see the intimate conversations between he and his wife, and she encouraged him. Like, he's like, why would God use me? I love that. And then there are others that almost feel like they're God's gift to God and His ministry. And that's not the right attitude to have. Unfortunately, a lot of churches have the older brothers in them. And they don't change. Some of them do. Some of them don't. And somebody coming into church who's maybe a little insecure can feel very uncomfortable around them. Like they're being judged. See, both brothers had an issue. The younger brother's heart was for the wild side. The older brother's heart was to be exalted. And they're both wrong. Both wrong. Hey, Dad, I was righteous, and you never affirmed that. I tend to think because of the distorted thinking that he's saying things that are exaggerated to make his case greater. Remember, the father is a loving and gracious father. And he said to him, everything I have is yours. Who do you think gets it when I die? Your son has already taken his portion. When I die, this is all yours. Right? But he, he was triggered, and he had this rage that was built up inside of him. And I'm going to tell you something. It's not pretty today when some in the Christian culture or in the church have a jealousy, a judgment, a bitterness, a religious spirit. They see somebody who doesn't fit the mold of what they liked. Remember in, in the movie, um, all these hippies were coming into the church barefoot, long hair, tie-dye. They weren't dressed appropriately. But Chuck Smith felt that they needed to come and hear the word because they were trying drugs. They were experimenting with all this stuff. He wanted to see if, you know, he wanted the Lord to save their souls. Amen? So today I say to people, I don't care who it is. Sitting in the front, I don't care who you are. Are you coming here to learn about God? You're welcome here. 
Some people don't have the money for nice clothes. They just don't. We're not going to, we should not going to judge them for that. So the father and his staff were rejoicing with the younger brother, which is a picture, right? We've seen this in the other two parables where God and the angels rejoicing when a sinner comes to salvation. Every time there's an altar call here in the Philippines, in Africa, in Europe, it doesn't matter where it is. It must be like, you know, some people see a football game and people jump up and cheer. Imagine what it's like in heaven when they jump up and cheer because one sinner comes to salvation. Oh my goodness. I want to, I want to re- see a recording of that. Um, one of these days. So the older brother, and again, the attitude today is people do this in church. Churches, Christian culture. Oh, that person was on drugs. Oh, that person was incarcerated. Okay, they found Christ. They came to the right place. Rejoice. Because, think about this, if God and the angels are rejoicing and we're sour about it, we're not in line with God's heart. Right? Verse 31. He says, 31 and 32, He said to him, Son, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother. Remember he said, your son, dad, your son. He said, your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and he's found. Seven out of seven is death to life. So I like to do this a lot. I love the Greek language. The Koine is such a beautiful, beautiful language. I actually went into my Greek lexicon and I looked at this verse and I looked at all the uh, synonyms, right, in the semantic range. And you want to hear about powerful. Look at, watch this translation. You take the words and you find those deeper meanings that are appropriate. He, he, he basically said to the older brother, your younger brother was a corpse. And he had his life recovered. Your younger brother was destroyed and has been restored. Everlasting death to everlasting life. That's power that you can't buy. That nothing on this earth, all the billionaires and the trillionaires can't buy this stuff. It's not available to be sold. It is the power of the living God. Amen. What's it going to take for you, listening, watching, here today, to be convinced that this world system doesn't care about you with all their false advertising and that God loves you and to respond to God's love, anybody. You don't have to fit into a category and people do that. They'll read the story and say, I hear what you're saying, Pastor. So maybe I'm, am I the older brother? Forget about it. Forget about the categories. right? Look at the main point of the story and who God is. You might even say, well, I'm a moral person. I don't fall into the prodigal son category. But do you fall into the older brother category? Because that's a trap. You also need God. This could be for somebody who's walked away from God. Someone who is maybe estranged from God. And as you read it, you realize, you know what? I'm not close to God. There's an epiphany. It could be for somebody who never knew him like me, who came to him in his 20s, never knew him. I knew there had to be a God. I studied uh, science in college. It's not possible. Anatomy and physiology and all the sciences, no way. 
you know, quantum chemistry and all those kind of things. So I knew he existed, but I didn't know him, right? It's like you could have your, some of you guys, your favorite sports player, you know all of his stats. But if you bumped into him and went, went to shake his hand, you might be tackled by security because he doesn't know you. You know some things about him, but you don't know him. Some people know, well, there has to be a God, but they don't know Him. And God's desire is for us to know Him. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, anyone, anywhere, whatever you did, whosoever would believe would not perish, but have eternal life. Focus less on the sons or fitting into a box. Focus more on the gracious and loving Father and let that draw you close to Him. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.